Okay. Tonight we want to go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We'll just read one verse. Psalm 127. And we shall read verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. My preachers are like magpies. In that... We like to find nice, bright, shiny objects in order to build our little sermon nests with. Uh, it may be a good illustration, personal experience, a fine text, biblical truth, a particular chapter. And hopefully these will be the materials that we pick up along the way that we weave into our messages that hopefully again come Sunday uh, will challenge us and touch our heart and lighten our minds. And the title for this message tonight is one of those, it's one of those things I picked up a long time ago. And I, I don't know whether it's the lyric of a song or whether it's the title of a book a throwaway phrase, sentence, comment. In fact, I was so vexed by this that yesterday I googled it. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. And so I googled it. And I can't say for sure, but Max Lucado's name come up a lot of times. And it sounds a bit like Max Lucado and something he would say or something he would write. He's brilliant at one-liners. This sounds like one of his one-liners. However, whoever said it, whoever wrote it, uh, and I can't say for sure, if you, if you know for sure, please tell me because it's bugging the life out of me when I don't know. I'd like to give somebody the credit for it. However, I believe that the truth is very, very important for us to grasp. And it's simply this, and you've heard me saying this over the years sometimes, if you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. If you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. Sometimes the hand of God in our lives is not that obvious. We don't always plainly see that. And in those times when you can't see it, and you just cannot trace his hand and you're wondering, God, where are you in all of this? In those times, you better trust his heart. You better get to know him and to trust him. And so when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. David knew something of this. David was anointed just as a young man by Samuel to be king over Israel. It took 10 years, it took a decade from that moment 
when Samuel anointed him as a young man until 10 years later when he was actually enthroned over king over Israel. 10 years. And in that 10 years, it was the most difficult time for him. King Saul was so jealous and so enraged with jealousy. The Bible says that jealousy is cruel as the grave, and it is. That he desperately wanted to kill him. Threw spears at him. If it hadn't been for Saul's son Jonathan, maybe he would have killed him. But he couldn't. But David had to run. Went into exile. Had to live in a cave. Imagine being anointed as king over Israel and you're living in a cave. And he gathered a small army around him. Which, by the way, was the nucleus of the best army that Israel ever had. But at that time, there were those in distress and those in debt and every kind of a character joined them in a cave. If you'd asked David during that 10 years, could you trace his hand in this? I think he'd have said, no. I can't possibly see how God could be in this. I mean, I killed a giant. I mean, I, I've, been, I've been anointed to be king over Israel. I mean, what's wrong with Saul? I mean, is he not glad that the giant's dead? Why would he be jealous? You know, I'm sure all these thoughts went through his mind. And I'm sure if you'd asked him, David, did, could you trace that? Were you confident that God was in the midst of all of that? I'm sure there'd been times said, no, I, I, I don't know where God is in this. This is the worst time of my life. This is the most difficult period I've ever had. Remember, he's just a young man. He's just starting out. I mean, he had the greatest victory that you could possibly imagine. And suddenly he's in the midst and the throes of all this terrible time. What about Abraham? Abraham was 75 years old. His wife was 65. Whenever by faith he left Ur of the Chaldees where he lived, went out looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And at 75, God gave him a promise. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Multitudes will come from you. Now that's exciting. That would help your journey, wouldn't it? But 10 years later, nothing's happened. No children. He's 85 now. His wife is 75. It's not looking good, is it? <laughs> I mean, the chances are not great, are they? They're diminishing every single day. And that's probably why. Sarai, as she was then, he was Abram, panicked. And thought, because this was the culture where they came from. I mean, it was where they came from, or of the Chaldees, was quite permissible. And thought, well, we've got a slave, Hagar, this Egyptian slave. If, if Abraham lies with her and if there's a child, well, I'll take that child to be ours. And that was acceptable in that particular culture. And what seemed like a good idea at the time turned out to be a rotten idea. Terrible idea. We're still paying for that idea yet in the Middle East. Now a lot more years has passed. He's 99. She's 89. And three angels show up. And they tell him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. 
All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And it seems so utterly ridiculous to Sarah that she laughed. She was in the house, in the tent. She heard it. She laughed. The angel said, where's your wife? Oh, she's in the tent. Bring her here. Why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. <laughs> no, he said, you did laugh. I heard you. But I'll visit you this time next year. And you'll see this promise come true. Next year he's 100 years old and she's 90. And Isaac was born. 25 years. Now he was a great man of faith. He believed the promise. But if you'd asked Abraham especially in that tenth year of waiting. Could you trace his hand in this? I would think he says, well, I, I believe the promise, but I, I can't see God right now. I, I, I just don't know. You know, they, they logically rationalized and thought, well, maybe, maybe this is the way. Maybe, maybe this is how God meant it to be. And that's our problem, isn't it? The longer, the, the, the longer we wait on the answer, the more we rationalize the problem. And if a kind of a half answer comes, well, maybe this is the answer. <laughs> Joseph was a favored boy, wasn't he? But his brothers hated him for it. They decided they would kill him. In his presence, he heard them plotting his own death. And then they decided, well, I might as well make some cash out of it. So they sold him as a slave. At that moment, if you had asked Joseph, can you trace God's hand right now? No. Does this sound like the vision you had with your family all bound down before you? Does that sound like this is God now? No. Certainly didn't. Sold into slavery. Got a job in a rich man's house. You know the story. His wife fancied him. He didn't, certainly didn't fancy her. And if he did, he wasn't going to do anything about it. He wasn't going to sin against God and against his master. And she kept pressing and pressing, and he kept saying, no, no. And the end, he ran, which is always a good idea. He ran from that temptation, got threw into jail. His wife cried rape. Rich man threw him into jail. Have you had said to Joseph at that moment, do you see God's hand in this? Can you trace God's hand here? Is this a fulfillment of the vision God gave you? No. How could you see God's hand in that? He's in the jail. Do you know how that the king was angry with the butler and the baker, threw them into jail with him? How both of them, the same night, had a dream, each a separate dream. And even in the next day, he was attending them under the jailer because the jailer highly favored him. He says, why are you so sad? He says, well, we, we had a dream, but we can't interpret it. Joseph says, well, God interprets dreams. So he thought about it and prayed about it, and he came back. He says, here's your answer. He said to the butler, he says, three days' time, he says, you'll be released back to the king's side. You'll be his butler again. The baker was happy to hear that. He thought, well, he had a kind of a similar dream about three things, so he thought, well, this is good. So he says, what's your dream? Well, I, I dreamt there was these three baskets of bread in my head, and the birds come down and ate them. Oh, bad news for you. <laughs> Three days' time, the king's going to lift your head. He's going to hang you up on a tree. 
and the birds of the air is going to feed on you. That wasn't a very nice dream, was it? It was a nightmare, isn't it? And that literally happened. That came true. And Joseph said to the butler, he says, now when you get out of here, he says, you make sure you tell that king. He says, I'm in here under, I, I, I'm falsely accused. I shouldn't be here. This is not right, you know. You tell that king I shouldn't be here. Of course, he got out, totally forgot about him, didn't he? Totally forgot about him. Until some time later, to the king had a dream. Nobody could interpret it. Joseph interpreted it. The rest is history. He became prime minister of Egypt, didn't he? Now, if you'd asked him in that prison, if you'd asked him in that pit, if you'd asked him in that dungeon, is, can you trace the hand of God here? Does this seem like the fulfillment of the vision God gave you all those years ago? No. No. Didn't look like it, did it? But whenever his brothers heard that there was food in Egypt and they were starving and they came to Egypt and the first time they came into his presence and he looked like Egyptians, he dressed like Egyptians, he spoke like an Egyptian, they had no clue who he was. As far as they were concerned, he was long gone. But he knew them instantly. And I bet you at that moment, right at that moment, as soon as he saw them walking in, at that moment it dawned on him. This is the hand of God. Because you remember at the end of that story how he said to them, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He fully understood then. He now could look back and trace the hand of God. He couldn't do it during it, but you can look back. 2020 vision is great when you look back, isn't it? When you look back, it's wonderful, isn't it? You can see it all then, but at the time it's difficult. And suddenly he could see it. And then he realized that he was there as the savior of his family and the savior of his nation. And he was. Have you been in a situation, or maybe you're in a situation, where you say, well, I, I can't see how this could be God's hand in my life, and this doesn't seem to be any fulfillment of my dream or vision he gave me all those years ago, and I just don't know where God is right now. I, I don't sense anything much about him, and I can't really understand what's happening in my life today. And This is when you need to trust his heart, when you can't trace his hand. You need to say God is a good God. And God's plans are for me, are for good. They're not for evil to give me a hope in the future, Jeremiah says. You've got to talk to yourself that way and say God knows where I am. He knows what I need. He knows how to bring this vision to pass. He knows how to fulfill his purposes in my life. So I'm just going to trust his good heart. I can't feel him. I can't see him. I can't sense him. But I know him. I don't know what his word says. Psalm 127 and 2. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Now this can be taken one of three ways or actually all three ways. First of all, it can mean literal sleep. But how we need that? Some of us need more than others, admittedly. Clifford needs his full eight hours, don't you Cliff? Or he's like a bait and bear. Not right, Evelyn. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, the time she was prime minister, she only got on four, she just went on four hours sleep every night. She was a human dynamo. Four hours sleep to run a nation. And handbag all that cabinet of men she had. We need physical sleep. Scientists have no idea the mysteries of sleep. 
It's a mystery, isn't it? You go to bed at night, you put your head down, and for many, many people, after just maybe five, ten minutes, they're unconscious. I mean, a bomb could go off next door and they wouldn't even hear it. Isn't that right, Johnny? Johnny's not good with alarm. Now, he's better since he got married, I have to say. But alarms and Johnny just, well, they just, times he just slept through all alarms. But we need our sleep. There's Margaret over there. Margaret hasn't enjoyed a good night's sleep in I don't know how long. She needs physical sleep. Because it's hard to exist without it, isn't it? Or it could mean that God gives us a spiritual sleep, a rest in the Lord. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. There's therefore a rest unto the people of God, it says in Hebrews 4. In Psalm 37, it says, rest, verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Instead, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And so there's a rest for the people of God. When anxiety or worry or fear would try to overwhelm us, say, Lord, thank you for your rest. Jesus had a peace that was unbelievable, wasn't it? In spite of all that was happening around him, he just seemed so calm and serene and tranquil and peaceful. And then he said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My peace, my rest. That same quality of being able to rest in the Lord. So it can mean that. Or it can mean this. That God gives to us while we sleep. The Amplified puts it this, for, puts it this way. For he gives blessings to his beloved in sleep. Now I've looked at quite a number of commentators in this and a lot of commentators believe that it's literally saying that God gives to us while we're sleeping. While we're resting. In other words, this is the unconscious giving of God. This is God giving when we don't see it and don't feel it and don't even know he's doing it. This is God working behind the scenes of our life and doing stuff in order to help us and guide us and direct us and encourage us that 
that maybe at that moment we're just not quite conscious of. In the dry times, in the lean times, in those moments when we can't trace his hand, but we're trusting his heart, then God is just quietly working behind the scenes of our life. Again, all of this is easier to see on hindsight. When, when things happen and you say, well, that's the answer and that's my victory there, that's my deliverance, that's where the... And then you look back and you say, but you know, God was working all along, wasn't he? We, we just didn't recognize it. We just didn't see it. He's just been quietly behind the scenes of our life. And that's the great thing about God. He, he never rests. He never ceases working on our behalf continually. Even while you're physically sleeping, God's making plans for you. And so when you wake up in the morning, God's already there. And you can say, God, what are your plans today? Lead me, guide me today. You've already made plans for this day. I don't know what they are, but you know what they are. In that way, you see, that takes a lot of anxiety and fear and worry and all the rest of it. And Psalm 121 verse 4, it says, He that keeps Israel shall neither slumber or sleep. Shall neither slumber or sleep, and so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, come with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Of course, we quote this at just about every wedding we undertake. Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Now, just a little thought. Few people can get through this life on their own. Some can, but few. Most people desires a partner in their life, which is commendable and natural. How we go about that can be problematic. Because oftentimes, particularly whether a man or a woman, by the way, gets of a certain age, and they look around, and everybody seems to have somebody but them. And it begins to really hurt. They really begin to feel it. 
suddenly everybody's couples and they're a single. And they realize it, recognize it, and they don't like it. Now the older a man or woman becomes, oftentimes they become panicky. I need to get somebody. The clock's ticking here. The meter's going on. I'm running out of change to put in it. God, please help me. I need somebody. And the panic sets in. And listen, that's when it becomes dangerous. Because you may just, if you're not careful, rush into a relationship or three or four that may cause you trouble. God put Adam to sleep. Listen to me. He rested in the Lord his God. And God brought somebody to him. You say, well, that was a special case because there was nobody before that. He didn't have any choice. That is true. Can't deny that. But, get the point. He rested and God provided. And the trouble is, if we get panicky, really, really panicky, the danger is that we can rush out and get into a wrong relationship that could cause us trouble for years to come. But if we rest in the Lord, the Lord knows our need better than we know it. And if we trust Him, Sally and I had a friend years and years ago, lovely, dear, precious girl. I worked with her for years, and she was desperate to have a husband, desperate to have children, actually. And her meter was running and ticking, and I mean, it was going fast. And it seemed like there was just nobody. There was nobody in her church. There was nobody she knew. There was nobody coming into her life. There was just nobody. And she panicked. And she was desperate. But nothing happened. And then she just rested in the Lord. Said, well, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't do anything about this. I'm, I'm not going to do anything daft here. I'm just going to... And you know what? God brought a man into her life. And they're perfectly suited to this day. Now, they never had any kids. But as husband and wife, they are perfectly suited. And they're as happy as the flowers in May. Somebody says she's as happy as a lamb with two tails. And that's pretty happy, isn't it? And so if you rest in the Lord, He knows your need, He knows your heart, He knows your deepest desires, He knows all about that. So he just put Adam to sleep. A deep sleep. Don't know whether it was a long one or not, but it was a deep one. He didn't know a thing about it. While he was in that deep sleep, unconsciously God was working on his behalf and he didn't even know. And right now, some of you, God is unconsciously, as far as you're concerned, working on your behalf and you don't know it making the arrangements. And if it's a partner, who knows? Suddenly, the Mr. Right or Miss Right could come along and suddenly there's that connection that's in God. 
That doesn't mean you have to, having to work at your marriage, you have to work at all those things, because you do, because Christian marriages fail as well. But at least if you've got the, the one that God wanted you to have, that's a big, big start, isn't it? All right, it's getting very quiet in here, so I better move on. Psalm 13. Uh, I want you to get the get the feeling of try to put yourself into the feeling of the psalmist here. He's really having a rant. Do you ever have a good old rant? Do you ever real moan? You know, I, I have an odd rant now and again. Sally looks up and I have to say, "What?" Well, especially when watching television, using TV, she goes in the next room because I have a real old rant at it. But here he is. Things is bad. He says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> That's pretty bad, isn't it? Tabit not been able to trace his hand. How long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? Are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I can't see you. Where are you, God? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? I'm talking to myself. You're not hearing my prayers. You're not listening. You're afar off. I can't see you. I have sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long am I going to suffer this problem? Now looking at all you lot, because you're very religious looking tonight, probably none of you has ever, ever thought that, have you? Have you ever had a rant at God? No. You're not owning up to that, are you? But I bet you had. You maybe didn't use those exact words. You maybe actually didn't say it, but that's what you were thinking. That's why I love the Psalms. They're just so honest, aren't they? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. I can't see. I don't know what you're doing. I don't think you're doing anything. In fact, this is what he's thinking. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. That's pretty grim, isn't it? Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So he's having a real go at God. He's angry. He's upset. He can't see. He doesn't know what's going on. It looks like his problem life is overpowering him. His enemies against him. It seems like he's on a losing streak here. He's ranting at God. Then, as you will find often in the Psalms, then... His mood changes. Now, I suspect that it didn't change instantly. But on reflection, when he calmed down, when he wound his neck in, as we say, then, here's what he said, verse 5, but, but, I have trusted in your mercy. When you can't trace his hand, what do you do? He trusts his heart. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It hasn't happened yet, but now you see he's getting some confidence. Now he's saying, well, well actually, God, I know I've had a rant, but underneath it all, I, I trust you. I trust you. And, and you're going to deliver me from this. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Now he's happy now, isn't he? 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully bountifully with me. Now, Now, right at the moment, nothing's changed. The circumstances are exactly the same, but he's changed. And sometimes God does that, you know. Sometimes he doesn't immediately change the circumstances, but he's looking us to change. He's looking our attitude to change. And he says, God, you know, you've dealt bountifully with me. And, and then he probably could look back at all those times when God has really, really blessed him. And he's beginning to count his blessings and he's naming them one by one. And he is surprised what the Lord has done. But he says, I have trusted in your mercy. Huh. Let me just read. You know this, so don't turn to it. Right at the end of Habakkuk, in chapter 3, verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no meat, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. That's pretty bad, isn't it? It doesn't get much worse than that. How could God possibly be in any of all of that? Well, if you read the beginning of that book, you'd find out how God was in that story. But then he said, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Sometimes rejoicing is an act of your will. Because you don't always feel like it, but you, you do it. I will rejoice in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. See how that changes? Whenever we begin to trust his heart, when we can't trace his hand. So where are you tonight? Are you trusting his heart? You know, to trust his heart, you've got to get to know his heart. I'll say that again. To trust his heart, you've got to get to know his heart. I trust my wife's heart because I know her heart. We have been together since we were 15. We're in our early 60s. It's a long time, isn't it? But I trust her. Because they're no heart. I trust these men I work with. I trust Clifford. I would trust Clifford Bloomfield with my life. I mean that. Because I know his heart. And Ken. And Raymond. And all these men. It's been all these years. We know each other's hearts. Now, it doesn't mean to say we know every single detail. But we know. We know each other. Do we know God's heart? Do we know the Lord's heart as well? I hope that we do. And the more we talk to him and draw close to him and read his word, the more of his heart we begin to understand. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this whole series, particularly in the morning times, on prayer, because we want to get to know the heart of God. He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts, but we need to know his heart. And then we can trust his heart. Some of us have been on this road a long time, walking with the Lord, and we have proven God. 
and we have been in the tough times and the hard, difficult situations, and we have come out of it because we trusted the Lord. We couldn't see a way through. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we trusted the Lord because we knew his heart. We've proven him in the past that he's as good as his word. And so we relaxed and we rest in the Lord. Amen? So, if you can't trace his hand, what are you going to do? Say it out loud. Trust his heart. And you'll find his heart is good. You'll find his purposes for your life are the best. I, you know, I was reading a thing just today, and I'm going to read it out some of these Sundays. It was written by John Piper, who said a lot of sensible things. And he says, sometimes we just try to live too close to the world. And we never really find out God's heart. We never really find out who he's really like, because we're just on the edge. We're scared to go all the way with God. You know, we need to abandon ourselves to the purpose of God and to the will of God. And you go all the way with God. It opens up a whole new world to you. And whenever you begin to realize God's plans for me are good, they're the very best plans that I could ever have on this earth, in this lifetime. When you realize that, you want to embrace God because he's only got the best for you. Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight that your heart is good towards us. Lord, you have shown us that through your word. We have found that through experience. We know that, Lord, because we have lived this life for a long time and we have proven your goodness in the land of the living. And so we bless you for this tonight. Lord, encourage your hearts with this word tonight. Let us take it from here and let it, Lord, be seed sown in the good soil of a heart. And Lord, at the days and the weeks and months and years to come that we may learn and know deeper how to trust you better. Lord, we just thank you for this tonight. Lord, bless downstairs this evening with the young people, whatever's going to happen. We, we just pray that you'll be in their midst and you'll bless them and do them good. Lord, you want to do the young people good. You've only got the best for them, Lord. Their whole lives are ahead of them. Lord, help them to see that by walking with you Every day, they're walking into the best future they ever could possibly have on this earth. And then, Lord, there's all eternity beyond it. So bless them, Lord, as they meet tonight in Christ's name. Amen.